everybody. Mike and Andy here from, um, let's see, Columbus, suburban Columbus, Ohio, and San Juan Capistrano, respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, the beautiful thing, and, and we it's a subject of ongoing debate about which part of the country is better. Um, and it's not a long debate. <laughs> <laughs> because today... And I know everyone cares. It's just so funny. I mean, you get here and it's like you you do focus on the weather so much because it's ever evolving. I mean, it was 55 one day and then snowy in in the 20s the next day. And then it's upper 40s. And today it'll start kind of in the low 40s and then go down to the mid 20s by the time the day is over. And it's just it's absolutely crazy. Like whether people in Ohio actually earn their salaries. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and they don't they don't have to be beautiful. That's the nice thing. Or have names like Dallas Rains and Johnny Mountain. Mm, right. Like whether people in Ohio can just be overweight and you know they're pasty because they're inside all the time and it's just it's awesome. Yeah. It is awesome. I feel I feel at home. These are my people. <laughs> See here, we're just a place where the beer flows like wine where women instinctively flock like the salmon of Capistrano. <laughs> Good lord, Andy. That was that was awful. Um well, all, my, all my friends who love Dub and Dubber will think that's awesome. Yes. Exactly. Um so so we got a lot to cover today, Andy Bear. All right. Um we took a little heat. Uh well, at least from from one or two people um about going after Piper by name last week. Mm-hmm. And um you know, why why do you have to go after Another teacher just expressed how beautiful Jesus is, and um, which is a great question. And uh, and so so I want to talk a little bit about that, but I want to do it in the context of something pretty significant that happened this week, which was the sentencing of a guy by the name of Larry Nasser, uh, mm-hmm. who was this physician at Michigan State, uh, my wife's alma mater. And um, and also you know, like a, a team physician for the U.S. women's uh, gymnastics team, Olympic gymnastics team, and uh, it's gotten a lot of obviously media coverage. But he was sentenced this week uh, between forty and one hundred and seventy-five years, I think it is. Um, and uh, but but the, there was a young lady who was uh, testifying, uh, not testifying, but she was reading a statement. I guess it's called an impact statement. And uh, she got a lot of like Christian press because she talked about Jesus in it. Um, her name was Rachel Den Hollander, I think is the name, uh, the way you would say it. I don't know that that's how you pronounce it. But she was the first person to come forward. She was assaulted when she was 15. And, um, and, and, and so she, she makes an impact statement. And the impact statement, I mean, I read it. it it's absolutely incredible. I mean, cannot even imagine what the trauma she's gone through, but she, she goes through, uh, and, and it's really, it's really, she's talking to Larry, this guy, this perpetrator, she's talking to the judge and then she's naming the people who covered it up. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible, Mm. but what she does is, is she pleads for justice and, and her cries for justice aren't vengeful. At least it doesn't come across that way. It's really, it's, it's an impactful reading. Um, I mean, this is one one of the quotes from that uh, statement. She says, 
Um, I submit to you that the preeminent question in this case, as you reach a decision about how best to satisfy the dual aims of this court, is the same question that I asked Judge Neff to consider in a previous uh, previous thing. How much is a little girl worth? Hmm. How much is a young woman worth? He, she, she began to be assaulted by him uh, and molested by him at age 15. And she goes on to describe you know, the horror of, of, of seeing this perpetrated on her and how much this guy enjoyed it, uh, how much he enjoyed the, the fear and the discomfort and all of it. I mean, it was just, it's, oh, it's mm. just awful. She goes on and on. I mean, for pages, she's, she is, it, it's so raw and it's so, oh, and, and, then, and then to talk about the covering of this up. Um, but she says something right in the middle of her statement. Um, there, so one part is she just the way she advocated for justice. The second part is she lost it. She she it, her advocacy for sexual assault victims uh, cost her her church. So here's the quote: hmm. She was talking about how after this happened to her, um, and she processed that trauma she began to advocate for other victims. And she said, my advocacy for sexual assault victims, something I cherished, cost me my church and our closest friends three weeks before I filed my police report against uh, this guy, Larry. I was left alone and isolated. Uh, and it it was, and far worse, it was impacted because when I came out, my sexual assault was wielded like a weapon against me. Now, we'll get back to that in just a moment. I'm, I'm reading these quotes in order. Then towards the end, she addresses Larry, and, uh, and this is just ridiculous. She says, and ridiculous in a, in a profound sense, her, her, uh, she says, in our early uh, hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom and you've spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed as of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to live this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, if you've read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done and all of its utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you've seen in this courtroom today. Hmm. If the Bible you carry says... It is better for a stone to be thrown around your neck and to throw you into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble. You have damaged hundreds. And the Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. <laughs> Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends the grace and hope and mercy Oh, who's that? <laughs> it's Sunflower. Hello, Sunflower. <laughs> Good morning, Sorry, Sunflower May. Say hi. Hi. It's Uncle Mike. Hi, yeah. hi Sunflower. <laughs> hi, baby. Say hi. hi. What are you doing? What are you doing today? Did you? Are you going to eat your breakfast? Yes. <laughs> what? What you? What you going to have for breakfast today? What are you going to have for breakfast? Yes. <laughs> yes. Perfect. It's good to have waffles. Perfect. All right. Go, go, go. Okay, hold on. We have visitors, everybody. Sorry. Yep. Yep. <laughs> the... Coming in at a critical moment. It's okay. Hi, Rhodes. 
Uncle Mike to Japan. Oh, he's talking. He's talking on the microphone to Uncle Mike. <laughs> Hi, Rhodes. Hi, Rhodes. Hi. Love you, buddy. <laughs> you're much, Rhodes. You're much more articulate than your father. Which, well, his ramblings have already started. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so, so you see, so she says, um, uh, that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found and it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul crushing weight of guilt so that may, you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, uh, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. All right. So, I mean, un- Un-freaking believable. Now, what Christians do is that, oh, man, here we go. can't teach. (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah. So, so, you know, what the Christian machine does is they they grab that quote about forgiveness. And so that thing blew up on Mm -hmm. my little Twitter feed. Um, I mean, here's this victim. Um, you know, preaching forgiveness and, and, and true when I, when it, when she first said it, all I read was that little bitty snippet about forgiveness. All right. So she was upset about this, that, 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 that people, I don't know if she was upset, but she, she had concerns that that was the only bit that was kind of yanked out mm, yeah. of this whole thing. So she does an interview yesterday. I think it was yesterday or it was published yesterday. And, um, uh, I want to read some quotes from it because it uh, it speaks to uh, some things that that we've been talking about of late. So, and and I'm just I mean she she's so um, dang articulate that I'm just going to read big big parts of it. So the question was, you know, what have the past two decades been like for you? Um, you were first abused by this guy in the year 2000. It took 18 years for him to be convicted of sexually abusing girls. What have the past two decades been like for your faith? And she said, in the beginning, I wrestled with God's perspective on abuse, where he was, why he didn't do anything, whether or not I was guilty or stained by it. I worked to get to a place where I could trust in his justice and call evil what it was because God is good and holy. And then, and then she has some critiques of uh, of kind of Christian subculture, at least in some places. She says, one of the areas where Christians don't do well is acknowledging the devastation of the wound. Hmm. We, tend to, we can tend to gloss over the devastation of any kind of suffering, but especially sexual assault, with Christian platitudes like, God works all things together for good, or God is sovereign. Those are very good and glorious biblical truths, but when they are misapplied in a way to dampen the horror of evil, they ultimately dampen the goodness of God. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Goodness and darkness exist as opposites. If we pretend that darkness isn't dark, it dampens the beauty of the light. I mean, oh my goodness. So good. So good. And we talk about the whole cliche machine, um, but I I thought that was... So well um, said. So well said. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, she, she talks about a piece of scripture that really spoke to her. Um, she, she said uh, it was from John chapter 6 where Jesus asks Peter, do you want to leave too? Peter says, where else would I go, Lord? You have the words of life. Remember, that's where Jesus offers kind of a hard teaching and, and uh, a lot of the disciples uh, leave. Hmm. And so, and Jesus looks at the 12 and says, hey, are you going to leave too? And Peter has this great, well, where else are we going to go? Um 
She said, there was a point in my faith where I simply had to cling to the fact that although I didn't understand or have answers, I knew that God was good and he was love. Whatever else I didn't understand could not be a contradiction to that. Hmm. Um, Beyond that, it was learning more about God's justice, the contrast between darkness and light, how to properly interpret God's sovereignty and Bible verses that command us to give thanks or reveal God's promises of bringing goodness out of evil. When those verses are interpreted properly, they're glorious and beautiful. But more often than not, particularly in the case of sexual assault, they're really used to mitigate and to minimize, almost as if the victim, uh, if the victim handles it properly, if the victim just forgives, all of the feelings are going to go away. Oh. That's just not true and not what Scripture teaches. Right. So, oh my goodness. Um, now, this is where it gets, gets particularly interesting. Um, she talks about when it, when she said that, that that this advocacy cost her her church. She said, uh, "Yes, the church is one of the least safe places to acknowledge abuse because the way it is counseled is more often than not damaging to the victim." Hmm. Right. So, church yeah. is one of the least safe spaces. There is an abhorrent lack of knowledge for the damage and devastation that sexual assault brings. It is with deep regret that I say the church is one of the worst places to go for help. That's a hard thing to say because I'm a very conservative evangelical, but that's the truth. There are very, very few who have ever found true help in the church. Now, Hmm. I know nothing about this whole arena, which kind of proves her point. Um, I just, I just so grieve that statement. Um, and go, oh my goodness, you would think of all of the places in the world that would be safe, the church should be top of that list. Right. Um, the questioner then says, hey, in your, in your statement, you said my advocacy for sexual assault cost me my church. Um, uh, the reason I lost my church, she says, was not specifically because I spoke up. It was because we were advocating for other victims of sexual assault within the evangelical community. There was a very famous, uh, not famous, but a very well-known, um, cover-up, uh, that seems to be the case anyway, uh, in a, in a, a, a big, um, ministry kind of in the, well, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I won't get into it, but, but she, her church was supporting this church that, that she felt like things were being covered up at. Hmm, and yeah. so she was trying to advocate for the victims in that church, not her own, but in that one. Hmm, got it. Um, uh, she said, um, it was because we were advocating for other victims of sexual assault within the evangelical community, crimes which had been per- perpetrated by people in the church and whose abuse had been enabled very clearly by prominent leaders in the evangelical community. This is not a message that evangelical leaders want to hear because it would cost to speak out about the community. It would cost to take a stand against these very prominent leaders, despite the fact that the situation we are dealing with is widely recognized as one of the worst, if not the worst, instances of evangelical cover-up of sexual abuse. Hmm. Um, because I'd taken that position, because we were not in agreement with our church's support of that organization and these leaders, it cost us dearly. Now, notice what she says here. Um, when I did come forward as an abuse victim, this part of my past was wielded like a weapon by some of the elders to further discredit my concern, essentially saying that I was imposing my own perspective or that my judgment was too clouded. 
One of them accused me of sitting around doing angry, uh, re- sitting around reading angry blog posts all day. But my status as a victim was used against my advocacy. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So, so um, she she goes. On, I mean, the, the, there are all sorts of you know other things she says. She talks about how you know everyone can jump on this Larry Nasser thing, particularly evangelicals. And this is where she's kind of critiquing the evangelicals who jumped all over her message. She's like, well, yeah. I mean, when when it's n- not someone in our tribe, we'll, we'll all we are all for advocacy, but if it's someone in our tribe, that would cause you know, kind of uh, to to make the church look a bit disreputable, then um, you know, then uh, we don't want to be as quick to advocate for uh, for victims. So mm. it was just a really interesting. Um, and, and really, uh, deeply impactive. Oh, I gotta, there's just, I just saw one more thing. Um, what does it mean to you that you forgive this guy? Um, let's see here. She says, it means that I trust in God's justice and I release bitterness and anger and a desire for personal vengeance. I mean, this is the this is the perfect definition. It does not mean I minimize or mitigate or excuse what he has done. It does not mean that I pursue justice on earth any less zealously. It simply means that I release personal vengeance against him, and I trust God's justice, whether he chooses to meet that out purely, eternally, or both in heaven and on earth. Hmm. I mean, it's awesome, 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 awesome. Uh, and then the, the last couple lines, um, the, the questioner says, hey, anything else you want us to know? She said, first, the gospel of Jesus Christ does not need your protection. It defies, <laughs> it defies the gospel of Christ when we do not call out abuse and enable abuse in our own church. Jesus Christ does not need your protection. He needs your obedience. Obedience means that you pursue justice, you stand up for the oppressed, you stand up for the victimized, you tell the truth about the evil of sexual assault and then the evil of covering it up. Um, And then secondly, that obedience costs. It means that you will have to speak out against your own community. It will cost to stand up for the oppressed, and it should. If we're not speaking out when it costs, then it doesn't matter to us enough. So, (laughs) so, I I mean, (laughs) unbelievable, unbelievable. So thank you, Jesus, for this young lady. Yeah, um, who has, you know, so 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 a couple of thoughts. I mean, one, you can see why she was a bit, I, I, and I don't want to put words in her mouth. I don't know if she was concerned. I don't know if she was upset. If she was whatever, but you know, just that they would rip out kind of the forgiveness bit, and um, and and not understand the whole totality right. of what this has meant, what this has cost, what this has been like. And I get it because I'd be tempted to do that too. Oh, look, here's somebody preaching, you know, Jesus uh, in the worst possible scenario. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. Yes. But she seems to be saying, um, but, but, but look at what it's cost. I mean, and, and look at the, this kind of log in our own eyes when it comes to this stuff. The, the idea that she says the church isn't the safest place. And I, and I, I really can't speak to this. Um, because, uh, as, as someone who's obviously not a woman, um, I I don't know what, what it's like to have the kind of religious authority, um, 
over you about you know modesty or innuendo or right. I mean I just don't have any idea what that's like um, and I have no idea what's been covered up and what's not been covered up and mm-hmm. and whatever and so you know um, like I said I mean we've been I've been in situations where we've had you know tr- accusations brought against uh, other pastors and and um, you know had to deal with some of that stuff but nothing like this nothing yeah. that was abusive nothing that was um, so, so I don't have much to say other than I just wanted her words to speak right. and to say, okay, so I, I don't know, I don't know how this changes in the church other than it just needs to. So right. obviously having women in leadership is a huge part of this. Um, obviously, um, the, the idea, and, and, and this is where I wanted to respond to the, to the gentleman that was just saying, Hey, why do you call out somebody by name? Why not just present how beautiful Jesus is. And, and that, that, that's absolutely right. Um, I think as a general practice for sure. Um, so I think, you know, I grant your point. The issue is that, that teaching does harm people if it's bad teaching. Right. And you have instances in the scriptures where you have teachers calling out other teachers by name, right? So the, the, the most famous one is, is Paul calling out Peter. I mean, he not only calls Peter out, in real life, but then he writes about it in this book that we're still in this letter that we're still reading two thousand years later, right? It was like, right. no, 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 I called Peter out on this. Yeah, <laughs> and and you you have Paul naming names of people who have harmed the cause of the gospel or harmed him personally, and uh, and so obviously you could devote an ent- you know a whole podcast industry to countering dumb things that are said. But we've kind of narrowed our scope. So we, we've dealt a lot with things that, that we don't think are true that are presented by some reformed, some of our reformed brothers and sisters. So mm-hmm. we, we've kind of gone to war a little bit against complementarianism. We've gone to war against um, uh, women in leadership, which are, uh, obviously is related. We, we've kind of gone to war a little bit against the idea that God causes suffering. And so mm, right. when, when when things intersect in those realms, I do feel a great deal of permission, particularly because social media has allowed us, um, you know, if you're going to put something like that on social media that women cannot teach in seminary, um, uh, I, 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 feel, I feel it responsible because it's one of the issues that we constantly kind of revisit. Right. Uh, that we have to we have to come back and talk about. I mean, it's like it's like Rachel was saying that that these these cliches they have power to harm people mm-hmm. if they're not uh, wielded rightly. And so when when somebody like Piper uh, says you know that that God causes everything that happens on the earth, then the the phrase well God is sovereign, meaning that God caused this, not just allowed it, but somehow caused this for His glory. I mean that that to me seems very demonic. Hmm. And um, and very very uh, opposite of who we see in Christ, and and so I do think there is loads of permission and example biblically, but I think practically in the world of social media, where every opinion can just get thrown out there without context, I think there's absolutely an obligation uh, at times when someone attaches their name to something that I think is harmful. Um, now, now people could say the same thing about me. Hallelujah. I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, you called me, whoever this was called me out publicly. Great. Right. We always want to be open to that feedback and to learn. And, and, and if you feel like, and, and certainly it could be the case that we're doing this too much, hmm. you know, that we're not putting forward 
like creative content that's Christ focused, but instead we're just reacting to things happening. And, and, and certainly since the election last November, there has been so much, or no, a year ago, no, it hasn't been a year ago, but I, I feel like um, certainly in the last six months or so, there's been so much to react to mm-hmm. in culture that I can hardly, you know, we can hardly keep up. Right. I mean, there's a, there's a kind of, this actually came up in a conversation I had last night, like, you know, with, um, so, so, uh, we were doing a little meetup at a brewery and, um, one of our community pastors was talking to me and said, Hey, someone asked us, like, are we ever at the church? Are we ever going to, you know, kind of jump, lean back into like a teaching series and do some more of that kind of stuff and that kind of thing. And, um, our community pastors. Because we have because we have multiple teachers, right? So but, we're on a teaching rotation. But his but his response was interesting to me because he's he kind of said more as a preference. He's like, yeah, he's like, you know, that's that's great and all, but he's like, I've gone, I've I've grown up in church that only did that, and the biggest problem was when something bad would happen in the world, the series would have a predominance over the reaction to something that bad that happened in the world. So mm. they would sideline stuff that was happening, and it would just look like the church was ignoring something massive that was affecting the community. And right. because they're so committed to like, well, we've, we're really in this series right now. And it was like, it just always felt very tone deaf and like that where, so for me, in, in a lot of ways, I'm like, you know, I don't, as far as our niche and what we do, I don't mind us being as flexible as we are and reacting to everything that is going on because like, wait, we'll, we'll just be, we're okay to be that crew that's doing that. And I think you're right that sure, we could have more content that's being a bit more just, you know, creative and focused and you know, aside from reacting, yep. but yeah. to your point, when there is so much yeah, to Andy, react to, why don't to, you do that? Why don't you yeah, do that? I'll get on that. Um, but when there is this, the weight of the stuff that is happening, I just, I hate to hear, you know, I wish someone in the church was saying something about this. Right. And it's just like, well, we're trying, you know, it's like, we're trying to be somewhat of a voice that's saying, no, that over there, that's that has to be addressed. We have to take a look at that. We can't just kind of go on and, and just generally umbrella statement life at, under Jesus and hope that all things just turn out well. When it's like, right. ah, I, you know, authority needs to be, you know, prophecy needs to be spoken to authority sometimes. And we just have to look at these things and say, it's there is evil here. And we have to, we need to take a look at this. So um, I, I think both are true, but I, I sadly... I think there's just a difference between getting lumped in with like, well, it's just another social media clickbait title, you know, like you're just like everyone else is trying to stir up stuff on social media. But it's like, ah, I don't, I, I can't, I have to take a higher view on social media than that because it, it's just become the form in which a lot of information is exchanged, you know? And so yeah. we're just trying to put good response into that forum. So, you know, one of the, one of the things, Andy, uh, I am, <laughs> The, anyone who sends a question to the Vox podcast, mm-hmm. you put this on this sheet, right, for me? Yeah. To make it easy? <laughs> well, I haven't, I haven't looked at the sheet in months, and I'm, I'm looking at this going, holy crap, there are zillions of questions on this thing that we've not even – I mean, do, I had no job, idea. <laughs> I, right? Oh, my Lord. I mean, we – I, I don't know, man. I, I we probably should do a couple of Q and A episodes because I know there's a lot of there's a lot of big stuff in there. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, where's the one about my writing? Remember that one um, about from, the feminization of the church? Yeah, from Alyssa. Yes. Yeah. Where's that one? Um, well, let me pull it up then. Okay. 
Because that was a that that fits in this uh, yeah, conversation it does. It, yeah, a little perfect. bit. It's perfect. Uh, so yeah, okay. So you asked. Yes, please. Okay. All right. Um. Okay. So this actually comes in from from a family member of a good friend of ours. So yeah, um, This the, is Ethan's sister. Ethan Holse's sister, Alyssa, who was my babysitter for the kids while she was here before she uh, moved and was busy at school. So, wow. um, love this. Where she live now? Uh, well, she's going to Biola, so ah, she. Oh, so I think okay. she's either living down there or she's just commuting, and she's not around as much. So First of all, down there from you isn't. Is it's it actually, actually not true. I am the one that, that is down. I am in the yes. south. She is a yes. Yankee in my. Yes. Okay. So, um, all right, here we go. Uh, this, right. Is, this is from Alyssa. Um, I've been a supporter of the Vox podcast for a while now. It's always thank a you, good- Alyssa. It's always a good day when I see a new episode pop up. Um, Thank you, Alyssa. Andy, say hi to the family for me. Hello. Um, And Mike, I'm the youngest of the whole clan. Okay. Um, Anyways. Awesome. I'm I'm currently in my last semester at Vanguard University. Sorry, Vanguard. With a major in communication. In my gender gender communication course, my professor got on the subject of the feminization of the church. Whoa. He simply opened up the discussion with an article from Talbot Minish, uh, Seminary about this topic. Okay, that's the tie-in with Biola. A lot, uh, of, a lot of the arguments presented in the article were formed around the idea that men are not attending church because the worship and sermons are too, quote, girly. As I looked, <laughs> as I looked through okay. the article, um, I was surprised to see a quote from you, Mike. Now, the article was from 2006, so I'm curious to see if your views on this subject have changed. I was surprised because from what I hear on Vox, it seems as though you both desire for men and women to have an equal voice. My problem with the argument that when we label the church as being too feminine, women then lose their seat at the table. I don't deny Ooh, that some men might not, quote, connect with a feminine approach. However, if we then take the feminine perspective out of church leadership because it doesn't, quote, connect with men, then we silence women who feel called to speak or lead worship. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Oh, that's good. Allison, wow. Alyssa. See, those are the kinds of questions. Alyssa, that's what I said. <laughs> um, those are the kind of questions we're missing, Andy. Freaking remind me to look at these every now and again, would you? Actually, I'm fairly certain I saw that one and directly forwarded that to you just to kind of ping you. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. I'm I, I'm I'm months behind on email. Yeah. I just I it's so overwhelming to me. I can hardly I don't even know what to do. Um, and then I, and then I discover like <laughs> however many of these there are. So I'm doubly overwhelmed. All right, so so I don't know the article in in in. Uh, uh, that's in question here. I don't remember it if if I did know about it or I've never heard of it. So I, I don't know what quote they pulled. I have no idea what uh, I said. I don't know if they quoted it accurately or if it was out of context. I have no idea. I do know that that um, I was around that time. I, I I was working on a book called uh, Why Guys Need God, which mm. don't ever if you publish books don't let the don't let the the publisher picked the titles um because i had <laughs> i've had the worst experience with titles in my book so anyway why guys did god uh was the was the title of this one and i was doing a lot of research because because what had happened a few years before that was this explosion of something called wild at heart oh, so yeah. a guy named john eldridge had written this book and it was all about reclaiming masculinity and it was all about um, you know, you need a, a battle to fight and a beauty to win. And a, I don't know, something, there was a third thing. And uh, lots of people, lots and lots of people 
were uh, flocking to this. I mean, even today, Eldridge just has this huge ministry and he's written a lot more books and whatever. And I, and I found it really interesting. But the reason I, I, I wanted to to talk about it was there was a guy, We were I was at a church called Rock Harbor, and there was a guy on staff um, who who said, well, what, what happens if you don't struggle with lust? I mean, is there any other male conversation to have? What happens if you don't like being outdoors? I mean, is that <laughs> right. is that the only the kind of view of masculinity we can talk about. Right. So I actually wanted to write a book that was a little different and aimed at a little different um, thing than, than the wild at heart sort of stuff. And so I wanted to talk about masculinity from kind of a different perspective. Um, one of the things that I read as I was kind of researching this idea of, okay, so why, if men are almost exclusively in leadership, is the church predominantly made up of women? Mm-hmm. So that was the question. And, and one of the answers that was given is uh, that the, that the uh, primary expressions of worship um, uh, were, uh, and, and, and teaching in some ways, but worship primarily, were, were particularly feminine. In other words, the song, so first of all, it was singing, which, you know, a ton of guys don't do, but then it was singing kind of love songs to Jesus, right? These weren't hymns that had like thick theological content. I mean, it was, you know, you're the air I breathe. I'm desperate for you. And, 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 you know, none of us really talk like that. Uh, At least I don't, you know, even to my wife, I don't walk around saying, baby, you're the air I breathe. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so, so I, I would, I would imagine what, well, what were you I could, say? I'll make I'll make a caveat point to that because I would say that that isn't that's not a byproduct of the church. That's a byproduct of the church following pop music because it's like you can see that same thing happen with pop music. Like you don't over see the course, it with Pearl Jam. Over well, over the course you of don't the, freaking see it with Pearl Jam. Okay, but if we, worship music <laughs> was like Pearl Jam, you could talk about it. In this, but I'm, I'm giving you credit in what I'm about to say. I'm oh, saying okay. that the, I will the, shut the, up. the major decline of a massive music explosion started about in that 90s era. So, like, whereas bands like Pearl Jam and even, like, in the indie scene, like, a lot more – there was a lot more music in the way that it was being written and spoken where it was challenging something. It was speaking against an up to authority. But what then became pop culture from beyond that, because the 80s started to show it with like all the major hits of how those songs were being written. But then if you go back, you get farther and farther back to the 50s, there was so much more love songs were truly sounded like love songs, but there was actually so much more depth, everything prior to 1950. Like it just there was the way classical music was written, the way a lot of poetry and writing and literature as far as how that entertainment was being like, that's when a lot of hymns were written, too. So it's just like as entertainment culture began to grow. It became thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. So then all of a sudden you have the church here in the past like 15, 20 years, and they're trying to figure out how do we write quote unquote great worship songs? Well, he starts to strip out a lot of the actual theology because it just goes over people's heads. But then you revisit like it is well with my soul and you look at that song and you're just like the same theme of desperation that's also paired with the understanding of how God good is, is so painted in it. But it's like, if if you really sit down and read the story and read the lyrics, you're like, man, there's so much to this song. So it's, but it's, it's not, it's clearly written in such a different way in a different time. So I would say that's so much more of a reflection of our actual culture, not necessarily church culture. Church is, is just does a terrible job of just copycatting whatever's going on in, in popular culture. Awesome. They didn't do it with grunge though. So I'm I'm bummed. Well, DC Talk did. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, what would people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? But that's a different story. Allison, back to your question. Uh, Alyssa. That's what I said. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alyssa. You're awesome. So, so first of all, thank you so much for asking. I don't, I have no idea the context, but that was the context of what was going on in my head was I was wondering why the wild at heart thing had exploded Hmm. and why it presented just a very singular view of masculinity. And I was trying to work out a different view of masculinity that didn't have to be outdoorsy and always struggle with lust. Although, um, th- those are issues that I'd wrestle with. Um, so, so there, I'm, I'm sure I referenced it. Absolutely. And, um, I would have to go back and read the relevant parts of the book, but it, it, the question is, have my views changed since then? Oh, a- absolutely. Now I don't know. I just, I wouldn't be as dogmatic about whether or not, you know, the, the church has been feminized or not. I don't, I don't even know what those words mean, uh, you know, 10, 12 years later. But I would, I would certainly, I've certainly changed my view on uh, whether or not women should be in leadership, and so mm-hmm. that has changed dramatically. I just inherited a view because that was kind of the evangelical subculture that w- that said women couldn't uh, be in positions of leadership. Um, at the church we were at, we were trying to push that as far as we could, um, but uh, I was still kind of holding on to this last sort of vestige. And uh, and that and that dramatically changed over the last uh, maybe five years as I started to really dig into uh, the texts that I was using to kind of you know yeah. justify the previous view. Right. And you went, oh, I don't think they see it. It's kind of like communion, right? I'm not sure we're doing what it says. So, um, so yes, absolutely has changed. But but I, I I don't. I would have to be honest to say, listen, I I think that we've hurt the church by narrowing the experience of community to a one hour a week gathering uh i think we've hurt the church by narrowing the 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 one hour gathering to two primary giftings singing leader and talker <laughs> right and that's and that's the whole service right we sing songs together and then we sit and listen to a monologue i think we've deeply hurt the church when um are the, the for the lack of creativity the church shows these days yeah. when it's literally three songs some announcements a story a teaching two songs and we're out yeah i just i'm like oh my goodness so there's a staggering lack of creativity i do think the church could be better at including um masculine and feminine elements of worship on a regular basis and not just falling into one element or the other right so i've been i've been uh, in churches that were hyper masculine and that was awful that was just as toxic as anything i've ever been in but i've also been in churches that seem like masculinity there isn't room for it masculinity is the problem and and we don't want to go to that extreme either so so I would I would stick by the idea that because we've narrowed expressions of church community so narrowly mm-hmm. we do miss out yeah um on on lots of different uh, lots of different people I know men who will simply not go to a singing they don't they're not singers they don't they're not comfortable singing um, and the songs they're singing aren't masculine songs uh, right. they're they're not you know but they'll go to they'll go to a football game and you know chant something or sing the the fight song or whatever hmm. uh, and I also know women who just sit and and 
in in this very narrow expression of well men men are the only teachers um and it has to be a 35 minute monologue focused on you know what it is i want you to know and what it is i want you to change who just find that absolutely lifeless as well so if we want to say so so if i were going to say something like that i'd say okay well maybe maybe some of the more feminine uh uh, expressions, and I, I'm sorry to even say it this way. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get a zillion questions on this. Maybe some of the more feminine expressions of worship have been highlighted, uh, but I would say the more masculine expressions of teaching have been highlighted because the church obviously is almost exclusively male. So, so both I would argue would need to be balanced for the sake of the health of the body. Mm. Yeah. So you absolutely need to elevate uh, uh, feminine voices in the teaching space and mm-hmm. elevate masculine expressions. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not even trying to pack that with stereotype. I'm not, I'm yeah. not packing that with, okay, let's go bow hunting. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we've, we've ceased being so creative uh, that we just kind of fall into this rut. And it's very easy because we're so narrowly in this rut for, uh, for people to feel excluded because we're, we haven't cast the, the tent wide enough or big enough. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm so curious to explore. Um, I'm I'm so curious to explore the idea of quote more masculine expressions of worship. You know, I mean that's just that's just so right. interesting to me. Like, it's well, just... well, for okay, so for instance, and and I'm going to get into so much freaking trouble because, <laughs> I mean, worship. Listen, the worship on the one hand isn't something that's masculine or feminine. True. On the other hand, um, dare we say that that men worship differently than women? Mm-hmm. Can we say that? Yeah. And, oh. and I don't know. Oh, okay. I got. I, go ahead. I just, what? Science Mike did this Facebook Live this week. That was yeah. so good. Bonnie yeah. actually posted it on the Vox Podcast community page. And it was. I'll right. say, I, I think I can say it very simply, and it might even set up where you're going. He was just. He basically said he's just like men. It's like. He's kind of like, dare I say that men and women experience spirituality differently? He's like, right. whereas men think in their mindset, they're trying to transcend and escape reality to enter into some spiritual moment where women find spirituality in all of the tangible and things that they're objectively doing. You right. know, it's like a mom, a mother who's fully involved in her kids and providing whatever it is at the home is finding spirituality in the actual function of doing those things and, and like finding herself in it where men are always trying to escape the tension of their own reality to transcend to something. They need to go and meditate, be quiet somewhere. Like it's all escape oriented. But huh. I just thought that was the way we went on about this. I was just like, for me, I'm like, dang, like that. It just, it spoke so much truth that I thought was good. But I just, so that's, I, I'm just saying in the way that men and women might worship differently. If that's a backdrop for me to that idea, then I'm just like, well, that to me, I, we can run hard and fast in both directions and we're going to come yeah, that, up with a that, lot of different that, things. And that's all I'm saying. Right. Uh, I don't, I'm not trying to pack in stereotypes here. I'm just saying we've narrowed worship expression so dramatically and we've narrowed teaching the teaching expression so dramatically that, that, you know, one, one feels like one is primarily a masculine space and one is primarily uh, a masculine slash feminine space, however you want to define that or cash that out. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just saying, no, 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 we need to, we need to get way more creative. So, so one of the things that um, I love about our, our, our Izzy is um, Izzy 
So Izzy is, uh, she's 21. Her name's Izzy Ray. She's a recording artist. She's a phenomenal recording artist. I mean, I cannot believe she actually leads our church in worship. Um, but she's very broad in how she does worship, right? So we do Emmy Lou Harris. She could pull Johnny Cash. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we don't do a ton of, uh, of Hillsong stuff because you can go anywhere and, and, and get that. You know, we're not big, hypey people. You can sit. And so part of making room, is particularly for guys, is letting them sit and giving them permission to not sing. Right. Now, I think, and I'm not saying women don't feel that too. Please don't hear this as packed with gender stereotypes. All I'm saying is men and women worship and engage differently. Hallelujah for that. That is a beautiful thing. The church has so narrowed its imagination. Uh, and me too. I'm as guilty as anybody on this. But back, you know, man, in 06, I was probably working on the book uh, during that time. So maybe even a little bit before. I was just noticing that this wild heart thing went crazy. So there was obviously, it's like the Jordan Peterson phenomenon now, right? All of these young men are flocking to this guy, his YouTube videos. Have you heard of this guy? Uh, Jordan Peterson? Yeah. No. Oh my goodness. So he's, he's this clinical psychologist who kind of has this sort of theistic framework, but it's all about teaching young men responsibility. It's all about, I mean, it's incredible. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, one of his, one of his, um, uh, YouTube videos was how to stop procrastinating and, and, you know, and not, I think it was not suck, um, <laughs> you know, how to stop being pathetic. I mean, it was just, huh. it, 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 he didn't aim it at millennials, but millennials are flocking to this guy. Hmm. Um, and, and so I was so curious as to why, and one of the very real things that was being said in that space at that time was that the worship expressions felt feminized. Mm. Now, I would say that so differently, and I, I don't even know if I agree with that, but my, my, my point simply in bringing it up is that the, we've let the imagi- our collective imagination grow so thin that we can't even imagine, okay, so what would masculine expressions of spirituality look like in a right. corporate setting? Right. right. Right? So I don't know if that's chanting. I have no idea if that's sacrificing lambs i have i have have no idea but what you said you know i um uh, at at vox community um carrie observed one thing like one guy you know as she was teaching you know and then went into worship she's like there's this one guy about three rows back and he just was like not very responsive to anything i was saying she's like and then i kind of was watching him during worship wasn't singing just kind of sitting there and sitting there and then she was hanging out after the service talking with some folks and this guy just kept hanging around and hanging around and hanging around and he was just sitting in his chair she's like almost everybody in the room had left and she's like and finally this guy gets up and walks over to this prayer board that we have where we kind of yeah. write prayers and scroll yep. them up and then put them in and he writes down whatever it is and sticks it in the board and then leaves that's like, right. you see, the whole time you could be looking at that guy and be like, oh, he's not into it. You know, oh, he, this isn't working. But just but, but think about or, Hold right? on a second, Andy. Hold on a second, Andy. Think about the assumptions packed into this. Yeah. Okay? So I, I got I to gotta take this and run, Andy. This was, this was the best contribution you have made in quite <laughs> some time. Um, so so as, as somebody who loves um, the church and who loves church services— I've sat through thousands of them. One of the ways I've learned to wrongly evaluate the success of a church service is whether or not people are into it. And into it usually looks like 
um, at least on the worship, you know, kind of singing side, everyone's standing, everyone's singing, everyone's got their arm raised, their eyes closed. They are kind of enraptured in that moment. Their mm-hmm. arms are waving, you know, it's like totally. So, so very often a lot of our worship is geared to get people to that place. Right. And that's how we measure success. And I want to say that, that if, if I'm going to stereotype anything, it's going to be that assumption right there. Right. Yep. That assumption to me seems really, really wrong and does not seem to leave a lot of room for, for, um, (laughs) for, for a lot of dudes and a lot of women who don't uh, operate in in expressiveness. Right. So, so this guy is sitting there looking not into it and we make a judgment about that. Oh, and the judgment is built into the reflection. Oh, he's not into it. And that's the judgment. Oh, he's not into it. Right. In actuality, what we've done is we've presented a value that says into it only looks like this. Yes. And then we render judgment on everybody who's not like this. And I think people feel that and they go, no, no, if that's the only way we can express love for God, well, then that's just too narrow, right? I have yeah. no interest in this. Right. I'm, 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 in a, I'm in a Bible study here in Ohio with some just incredible couples. And and one of the one of the couples is, is come from a, a pretty um, hardcore Catholic background, and and this some of this stuff is all new, like unbelievably new. Um and 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 because they they weren't even I, I don't even know but I, I don't even know if they were they were faithful Catholics, hmm. but you know some of the, the some of the subculture stuff is just mind blowing to them, and and we've gone to this this church together. And the guy, he he could care less about the singing part. Mm-hmm. I mean, he talks like he'll just talk to he'll talk to the person next to him. He has no interest, but he comes every damn time to church, every damn time to Bible study. He's totally fascinated. But but uh, if you required this guy to to count him all in. As meaning, well, he's got to stand up and raise his hands. I mean, you've just you've just blocked him out of the kingdom because he's fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. But he'd rather play poker with with a bunch of Christian guys. He'd rather sit and have this really interesting discussion at Bible study, right? He's just not going to be your expressive type guy, right? And to ask him to do that for the sake of our own, well, it was a great service because people were into it, is is utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep, I do. I know exactly. So, what you're so, so here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Don't hate me. <laughs> I'm not speaking about your church. I'm not speaking about you, and I'm not gender stereotyping. I'm just trying to make a point in here that I think is that 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 Alyssa. What was her name? Yeah, you got it. I got it, Alyssa. <laughs> that Alyssa was genius and bring it up. So yeah, so so the short answer is yes, my views have changed, no question about it. But I do have views about the assumptions that govern worship services mm-hmm. that I would bring into question that may may um, fall into line with some of the things I was wrestling with then. All right. So, sure. uh, but but uh, but of course, my views have changed in a lot of areas. Absolutely. Right. Um, you know, I no longer think the Bible's the word of God. No, just kidding. Just kidding. I totally do. <laughs> totally, totally do. All right. Let's wrap it up. All right. 
so 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 a couple of thoughts. First of all, uh, the church is the least safe place. I mean, if those aren't marching orders and a and a and yeah, because uh, uh, think about it. I mean, our church, our, our culture is experiencing this this world shattering culture, you know, t- t- turning upside down moment of me too. And and here we are. Um, Still, and we should be leading the way. I mean, think about it. We should be leading the way in honesty because we believe that sin is real. We should be leading the way in justice because we believe God's going to restore all things. We should be leading the way in hope and forgiveness because we believe redemption is always available, right? Yeah. And instead, here's this, and and, and I receive this for me personally, not just the church that she was referring to. I receive this for me, right? How, How can the church be more safe? Uh, and I think I think for me that is a very very interesting question that I, I don't know how to speak to. Mm-hmm. Um, that got us into well one of the things that, that one of the ways the church needs to be safe, and, and this is something that Alyssa, um, you know, referenced was well if 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 you're calling the church feminized then oh my goodness I mean da, 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 da. if you're making judgments on the expression that are natural to women I mean haven't you just done so yes all of that is absolutely true. But I feel like, um, you know, one of the things that that we often talk about is um, the lack of uh, feminine voices in leadership of churches. And and so for me, I was just always puzzled as to if the church leadership is almost exclusively masculine, why uh, is church membership predominantly feminine? Yeah. I just found that super interesting. And I don't know that I know the answer to that anymore than I did them. But I find it interesting in in the way you know, you know, Andy, you have said that cultures evolve, but I also I also think the way we've understood a church service sure. to evolve. I think yeah, yeah, I absolutely. think I think the church needed to become more emotive and more expressive. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean the church I grew up in, we all were in suits, and I remember the day when the charismatics invaded our church, when somebody raised their hands, right? We don't want to <laughs> shut that down. Absolutely. No, we want to encourage it. I think that's a good thing to sing love songs of Jesus. I think that's a good thing to be reminded of his love. Absolutely. I'm just saying we've 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 so narrowly sliced our collective imagination along those lines. Yeah. That, you know, it, it, I think it'd be great to have other have other options too. So the way it looks for us is we just give people permission to not engage and then try not to make the judgment well they're not into it. Yeah. Which is a hard thing. So ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. If you have questions, email Andy at VoxOC.com, <laughs> A-N-D-Y at VoxOC.com. Andy will get back to you within 24 hours. <laughs> False. And False. oh my goodness, dude. I mean, I'm looking at some of these questions on my screen and they're like from a year ago and they're amazing. Yeah. So, are. okay. So, so I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to have to do some Q&A stuff because this is so... So I mean, there's some incredible stuff here. Yep, yep. So yeah, if you if you want to add to the pile, definitely email hello at Vox Podcast or go on the website and fill out the contact form. The contact form goes direct to the spreadsheet that Mike is referring to. And so. if you're in Ohio, let us know you're in Ohio. Go to where, Andy? Uh, VoxOH.com. Yes. Yep. Go to VoxOH.com. Um, so anyway, there we go. We love you guys. We're grateful to be a part of your life and. Um, Carry on, my wayward sons and daughters. There'll be peace when you are gone. 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 Yeah. Lay your weary heads to rest. Don't you cry no more. Amen.
Oh, that benediction was so good. That was the benediction <laughs> from Kansas. Oh, so good. I wish I could put that song at the end and not not break copyright. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> All right, brothers and sisters. Till next time. Thanks. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.